Hello, everybody. Josh Neighbors here on the Locked On Nationals podcast. Today it is Thursday, October 22nd, 2020. And it is 10.30 a.m. right now. The reason why that is important, I just got a notification scrolling across my phone that says that the Nationals have re-signed Josh Harrison. Originally today, we were going to talk about the, uh, the two first World Series games it is number seven of our playoff diary. We're still going to do that. Uh, that's just going to be moved to part two of the podcast. Part one is going to be about Josh Harrison. So part one of this podcast, we are going to talk about the Nationals re-signing Josh Harrison. Part two will be our 2020 playoff diary number seven about the first two games of the World Series and kind of the narrative path that it has taken. One thing before we get going, I want to let you guys know, I will have an announcement coming up about something that I am going to be doing also with Locked On. Just want to let you guys know that nothing is going to change about the Locked On Nationals podcast. It'll still be five days a week until the end of the season when it will go three days a week. So um, that is going to be a change that's upcoming. And then on tomorrow's show, I'm going to have more information about what's coming in the offseason as well too. And I want your all's input about what the offseason looks like. So find me on Twitter at Josh Neighbors. Find me on Twitter at LO, un, uh, at LO underscore Nationals so we can talk about those things and what the 2020 offseason looks like. But also, too, I'm going to have some more content coming as well with Locked On. If you like college football, um, you're a college football fan, I think you guys are definitely going to enjoy this, uh, enjoy what is coming for me next. But this podcast will stay the same. I will still be the host, and I will still meet the criterias that you are used to. Five a week right now during the season, and then three a week once we get to the offseason. But a whole lot to get to today. Josh Harrison re-signing with the Nationals. That and the 2020 World Series kind of review of games one and two coming up here on the Locked On Nationals podcast. You are Locked On Nationals, your daily Washington Nationals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I will tell you what, friends, I think, I think that Davey Martinez and Mike Rizzo are fans of the Locked On Nationals podcast because they just re-signed veteran infielder and utility man Josh Harrison to a one-year contract. No, I'm not sure to listen to the show, but if you guys listen to the show, you guys know that I am a fan. Josh Harrison played 33 games this year for the Nationals. He hit 278. He drove in 14 runs. He homered three times. Uh, That is not important. What is important is his clubhouse presence. And this tweet coming from Mark Zuckerman kind of explains that. Nationals have re-signed Josh Harrison to a one-year deal. Veteran utility man quickly became a popular figure in the clubhouse, especially with Davey Martinez. This is what I said about him. If you guys remember, and I've I've talked about it uh, kind of at length. Go back and listen to the second base show that we did in our postseason position breakdown. I talked about Josh Harrison at length and how I enjoyed a few things from him. One, his attitude and the spark that he brings, right? Very positive and a player that definitely pops off of the TV screen. It pops when you watch him the game. He plays the game at a very fast pace, and I like the energy that he, that he brings to the Nationals, especially this season when this team needed a jolt and needed a boost. 
And Josh Harrison hitting 278 was that kind of boost. He did come in and um, he really complimented a lot of what the Nationals wanted to do very well and was a, a key part of their offense at times. And no disrespect to him, but the Nationals were searching for offense and they were you know, trying to make sure it was guys who were in-house and they did not expect it to come from Josh Harrison, but it did. And he came in middle of the season and gave them some pop, not just power pop, but you know, he gave their lineup a bit more, um, a bit more attitude, a bit more uh, teeth, if you will. gave gave them some extra, some extra ounces of energy that it, it desperately needed. Another thing too, his position, second base. He can play second base. I I'm not opposed to them trying to get him to play first. I'm not opposed to that. Also, he can play in the outfield as well. So this is a guy that you can move around and is going to give you some flexibility with the lineup. He's going to give you some flexibility in terms of, uh, you know, if you want to give a, a day off to Luis Garcia, if you uh, want to give a day off to, um, you know, or you want to move, you know, Trey Turner over to second or give give Trey a day off, uh, you can move Luis Garcia to short or Castro to short or whoever you want to do. So this, he gives them some middle infield flexibility. I think he gives them some first base flexibility. I think at 33 years old, you know, he could learn how to play first base. And, uh, you know, you see guys move over there all the time. And I don't think it would be too difficult of a pickup for him. Uh, but we'll see. I don't think he'll play there very much. But I think that's something potentially that they could work out. So I'm really pleased with this because out of him and between him and Brock Holt, there have been some people that wanted, I think Max Raymond wanted to bring back Brock Holt. And I, I kind of let it pass when he said it last week. And not that it's a bad idea. You know, Brock Holt's a very accomplished player. But Josh Harrison, to me, in the time that they both spent on the team this season, Josh Harrison just gave the Nationals more. So I like the idea of them bringing back another veteran, somebody that you can trust and somebody that, that performed pretty well. He appears to not be one of those sinking vets, a guy like, and no disrespect to Eric Thames, but you know Eric Thames did not uh, is not does not seem to somebody who you know whose play is getting better, right? He does not appear to be uh, a guy who's getting you know better with age, right? It, it's starting to become a bit apparent that um, he's in the decline. So I thought bringing in Josh Harrison is a steadying presence. He is somebody that you can just plug into different parts of your lineup. This uh, you know different parts of especially your fielding as well too. I love the flexibility that he gives them. And I love the fact that it's flexibility with positivity, right? This is a guy who just seems to uplift things. You're happy to see Josh Harrison out there. And from the TV crew to the radio crew to Davey Martinez to Mike Rizzo to the media, right? We all kind of like Josh Harrison, right? We're all kind of cheering for Josh Harrison to do well. So this is a scenario where I think all parties involved are glad that it's going to work out for another season. We had no idea it was going to when the Nats brought him in this, this year. I think they were just doing it to get some veteran depth. But it, it's always very pleasant when a situation turns out like this and you can extend a guy and say, hey, we want you back with the team. We want you back with the program. Come back, join us, and help us try to get where we want to be. So I, I like that. He seems to be a winning player. And I think the Nationals made the right call. Um, and I'm excited to see where he fits in next year. I'm excited. I think we have to get to spring to see fully how things begin to shape. But for right now, uh, it was the right move. Great clubhouse presence in a year where I think they're going to lose a, club, a clubhouse presence or two. They're going to lose some of the vets. And this is a good veteran to bring back, in my opinion. All right, before we get to the second part of our show, the World Series recaps of Game 1 and 2 and uh, you know our World Series diary, we're going to focus on the narratives today. Before we get to that, a word from our sponsors. Today's Locked On Nationals podcast is brought to you by rockauto.com. 
Chain stores have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. RockAuto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're always reliably low. RockAuto.com always offers the lowest possible price rather than charging prices based off what the market will bear like airlines do. RockAuto.com is for everybody and does not require account login or membership. Go to RockAuto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know what we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com All right, let's get to it here. It is Dodgers one game, the Rays one game after two games here in the 2020 World Series. So this has been, let's just talk about this from a narrative standpoint first. All right, because um, the, the actual baseball aside right now, was this not the most interesting first two games you can remember in a long time? Not mostly for the result of game two, but for the results of game two following the reaction to game one. After the first game, and I think most notably, Bill Plaschke has to be um, has to be targeted here. Bill Plaschke is the Los Angeles Times columnist. He's a sports columnist, and also he is normally featured on ESPN's Around the Horn. He had a take, and part of it was the way he framed it. Um, he tweeted this. I'll just read you guys what he tweeted. Can a World Series be over in one game? It just happened. And then his article title said, you know, it's a column about why the Dodgers' dominance in Game 1 shows that they're going to win the World Series. All right, so we went from that on, uh, on, I guess you could say, Wednesday night or Wednesday, Wednesday morning, that coming out. So now on Thursday morning, we have Dodgers game two loss looked like, uh, lost to Rays looked like the World Series failures. So past World Series failures is what he is referencing. So what is interesting with this World Series game one was that the Dodgers showed themselves to be a better roster. I think they got that point across. An 8-3 win, uh, I think comprehensive is the way to put it. You know, not a 15-1 to destruction of the, of the Rays, but it was a comprehensive victory. Came from especially the middle part of the game, the fourth inning. They got Glasnow out of the game. They got Glasnow on the hook for six runs. And even though he struck out eight, you know, he only made it through four and a third innings. And they did a good job the rest of the way, too. They were able to put up a couple runs later on. And also stymie a late rally from the, from the Rays to make it a... 8-3 to three victory. All right, true. Their entire lineup hit very well. Clayton Kershaw pitched very well. The issue I have is that we all came into this series recognizing the realities of the two rosters, right? I mean, there was some, I think there was some, uh, I forget who tweeted the graphic. I want to give credit to him. But I did see a graphic that said the prorated salary this year for Kershaw and Mookie Betts is about two million less than the total salary prorated of the entire Rays ball club for this season. So those two Dodger players make almost as much as the entire roster for the Rays. And that is to say that I'm not this is not one of those moneyball type deals. This is just saying that the roster that the Dodgers have, the one they have constructed, it is a better overall roster than the one the Rays have. It is a better, it's a deeper lineup. It is got more star power. That is just, it's just 
a fact of the, a fact of the matter. They've got Betts and Bellinger, and those two guys are better than the other guys that they than any other two stars on the Rays roster. The guys like Seager and Turner and Muncie and Smith and Taylor and Peterson, who fill in the roster or fill in the lineup rather, are generally better than some of the guys like your Adamases, your Choys, your Meadows, those kinds of guys, your Renfros. Right, the 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 extra pieces, the the ancillary guys, are just better. The issue is with the pitching, and the pitching is where this becomes interesting. The starters in game two: Blake Snell, the 2018 Cy Young Award winner, on the hill for the Rays, and Tony Gonsolin, who had a very good season, but is just 26 years old, and this is his second year in the major leagues, and this year's postseason pitching for him. His two previous outings in six and a third innings total, he's given up seven runs, two homers, and uh, he's walked six guys coming into last night. And last night, he gave us one of the third innings, one hit, one earned run. It was a home run for Brandon Lau, who had two last night. So the pitching automatically put them behind the, the eight ball. And the Rays are a team that they are, they've kind of got that boa constrictor mentality, right? You may put a run back with them, but they'll always kind of be able to add one. And getting themselves in the driver's seat is very important, right? This is a team that wins by not coming from behind, by not fighting out of holes. And they recognize the Dodgers' quality in that lineup and know that the Dodgers can potentially do that to them. So in games like yesterday, when they get a lead, it's imperative that guys like Blake Snell, who did, he went the requisite amount of time yesterday. He was very impressive, carried that no-hitter into the fifth inning, and allowed the Rays to extend a lead, to build that lead, and they were able to make it four nothing. They got the Dodgers got two back, but like I said, there was always you know there, there was answers for the for the innings where the Dodgers scored two in the fifth. The Rays matched that two in the fifth, and they went first obviously. One in the sixth, the the Dodgers were able to match that as well too. But for the most part, the Rays always had you know they were always answering back. They were always able to rebuild their lead. And they were able to carry that into the late innings. And their bullpen didn't look as lights out as it had in the past. But the good thing was, in the end, Loop and Castillo were the two guys who shut the door. And they did so. And uh, these guys across the board, that is what they do. The Dodgers ended up using, by my count, seven pitchers last night. And so this is where the issue comes uh, into play for the Dodgers. You're already having bullpen games in the World Series in this second game. And, I, and this is where things favor the Rays. This is where things get messy because this is not a us versus, you know, this is not a stack them up and roll them out type World Series. This hasn't been a stack them up and roll them out type playoffs. We've seen the the Rays get by off the strength of their bullpen and it seems like their bullpen's always out there. Um, tonight was not one of those cases and I think that, that the key for them is to continue that. Game three, you're going to see now this is where Walker Bueller can go out there and get an advantage. But they, they're not, you know, they're not stacking. Like Walker Bueller was not able to go out there in Game Two right after Kershaw and um, try to build and get them that two nothing lead. And he's had to go up against a guy in Charlie Morton, who I've been pretty impressed with um, so far. The the regular season for Charlie Morton was not very good. The playoffs so far for Charlie Morton, I have really been impressed with his effort. Fifteen and two thirds innings here in the postseason, he has given up a total of one run. 0.57 ERA. Obviously, it's a small sample size, but he's got 17 strikeouts to just four walks. And he has been uh, pitching very well, the 36-year-old has. So, Bueller obviously gets the nod, 
but they're not able to consistently start or stack rather starting pitching up. The one thing that benefits them is that we're finally going to get this day off. Game three is tomorrow. I'm not sure if I, if I mentioned that, but game three comes on Friday night. So finally in this playoffs, we're going to get a bit of a respite for both teams. But the Rays winning last night was not a shock. I was all over them last night. I love them. Um, and that's why Vegas, you know, only had them as a, I think, plus 112. So for my, in, in my opinion, that was not easy money, but that was the play last night because Tony Gonsolin, like when he goes out there, Dave Roberts does not have everything figured out for who's going to go next. And I know, I, I know Kevin Cash doesn't either, but you've got Blake Snell at least going out there and was able to give you a quality start and for a team whose strengths uh, is its bullpen is able to hand, hand it off to them and they were able to get the job done. And in games where it's Walker Buehler out there, sure, I'd say favor the Dodgers. But in pitching matchups where it's pretty, you know, it, it's uneven or appears to be uneven heading in, even I'd say a start where Dustin May is the guy because Dustin May has been touched up a little bit here. I I would say it's the you know, favor the Rays, yeah, favor the Rays, and I and I think um, yes, the Rays are going to have to get a win one of those games where it's a Kershaw, where it's a Bueller, and that is that's kind of that that's the way it's going to go. They're also going to have to overcome a game where the Dodgers bat. They're going to have to have a game where they come from behind. That is the key to me. Can the Rays come from behind? in a way that the Dodgers can. Can they put enough together? And I think their lineup showed a little bit of that last night. So I think the narrative here is a, is very fun. Um, I know the Rays don't make this the sexiest World Series, and I know the season and everything does not make this the sexiest World Series in the world. But I do think the way the series has started has made it fairly intriguing. I think the way the pitching sets up is what makes this series moving forward that intriguing. I think it's worth the watch because of this is a weird matchup. There's no question the Dodgers have a better roster. But can they match up with the pitching-wise, uh, in the pitching with the Rays? And can those, can the Rays lineup keep getting timely at-bats, keep getting timely hits against this Dodgers, uh, this Dodgers pitching staff that is good, but once you get later on, it can be shaky. It can be had. That is my question. All right, that will do it for today's show. We had a little shakeup there in the middle of it, like literally while I was recording. Um, I was about to start the Marcus Stroman segment, and I checked my phone, and I got the notification that Josh Harrison had been re-signed. So I was able to to sneak that in the front part of the podcast. Make sure you guys check us out at LO underscore Nationals on Twitter. Follow me at Josh Neighbors underscore. And then make sure you guys check out all the position po- uh, postseason position breakdowns on the podcast feed. Once again, we've got catcher, first, second, short, third, right, and center field all taken care of. Left field, starting pitching, and then relief pitching are all going to be taken care of here within the next uh, week and a half or so. So we'll be winding down on those postseason position breakdowns. But if you guys have missed the first few or uh, the ones that we've had so far, go check those out right now. They're all in your podcast feed. 